Uh, Open your Bibles, please, to Proverbs chapter 16. Proverbs 16. Before we get to the text, I'd like to spend a few minutes considering how we look at the book of Proverbs. And I want to begin with I think we've all been in situations where somehow someone loses sight of the purpose of their job leading to absurdity. One time I took my family to a pizza restaurant where the dining room was freezing cold and it was August. The air conditioning was set to Arctic. Our teeth were chattering. We were leaning up against each other to share body warmth. We'd already put in our order, paid, and found a table, so we were determined to stay. So I got up and approached the woman at the cash register and asked her to please turn up the temperature as we were painfully cold. And she explained to me that she couldn't do that. You see, she said, it's really hot working around the pizza ovens, so we have to keep it cold for the cooks. Somehow, she had lost sight of the purpose of the restaurant. (laughs) And I I think this is a repeated danger in studying the book of Proverbs. We can be so focused on learning the practices of wisdom that we forget why the book is there in the first place. It's easy to turn this book into a kind of prosperity handbook. Want a happy family? Want to have enough money? Want to avoid relational conflict? Have friends? Influence people? Want to marry well? Follow the principles of Proverbs, and you'll live happily ever after. That is a misuse of the book. There's another misuse of Proverbs, and that's to explain away all the troubles of other people by saying that they failed to listen to the warnings of the book because they were fools. And of course, we are not. Now, Proverbs does make promises that on the whole hold hold true when a person pursues wisdom. And Proverbs does use the examples of people who forgot wisdom to show the pain it caused them. But that is not why the book is in the Bible. It's not there simply to make us prosperous as the world defines prosperity. And so, for example, We can so focus on habits of marriage that we lose sight of why we are married. We need to read Proverbs instead in light of the New Testament. We need to read in the light of the Gospel. We need to consider the book through the lens of Jesus Christ. And I want to just give you something to think about here in that light. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul calls Jesus the wisdom of God. So Jesus is the wisdom 
of God. A few verses later, he says that God made Jesus Christ our wisdom. So the wisdom of God becomes our wisdom. Then in the next chapter, Paul says that we, we Christians, have the mind of Christ. So the purpose of finding wisdom in the broader context of the Bible is found in why Jesus came and how we are to learn to think like Him so we can live in His wisdom. Why did Jesus come? Well, that's a familiar theme in our church. He came to undo the curse that rested on mankind ever since our first father, Adam, defied God and ate the fruit of the forbidden tree. He came to reconcile a people to God and then in the church to reconcile people to each other. He came to teach us how to live in His presence, under His authority, for His glory, which becomes for us the definition of a happy, prosperous life. Once the Spirit opens a person's eyes and they see Jesus, the wisdom of God, and what He did for them, they embark on a life of repentance. They turn away from sin and folly in order to become more and more like Jesus. They do this because they see in Jesus someone so good, so beautiful, so wise that they're drawn not just to the benefits He offers, but to the life that He lived. And the Gospels show us how Jesus walked wisely on the earth, and we are called to imitate Him in that wisdom. So just, just to get started here, we need to read the book of Proverbs through the lens of the Gospel. Now, Proverbs shows us, because it was collected probably uh, up to a thousand years before Jesus came, Proverbs shows us how wisdom should have worked in Israel, Israelite society during the time that the book was collected. We're going to see that wise words today, we're going we're to see how these wise words are enlightened by the coming of Jesus. And we're going to look at it particularly under the topic of wisdom and how it relates to speech. We're going to see that wise words can build a healthy community and evil words can destroy not only the speaker but the entire community. So if you want to be wise, you must learn how to use words wisely. Let's pray. Let's, let's pray that God will open our minds. Lord, these words we are about to ponder are your gift to us. You came to us and opened our hearts to Jesus so that we can have confidence that what you've taught in this book, the Bible, leads to yourself, leads to life, leads to wisdom. And so we now 
receive this gift from you, this gift of these good words. Teach us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Our passage falls in three parts. The first part, just to give you a heads up, first part is a call to wisdom in verses 16 to 19. Second is a call to wise speech in verses 20 to 24. And the third part is a call to avoid evil speech in verses 25 to 30. So we're going to look at the text in each section. So first, a call to wisdom. Now this is a regular occurrence in Proverbs. Before the teacher introduces a topic, he calls us to remember the value of wisdom. So that's how this next section functions in chapter 16. Read with me starting in verse 16. How much better to get wisdom than gold? To get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. The highway of the upright turns aside from evil. Whoever guards his way preserves his life. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. It is better to be of a lowly spirit with the poor than to divide the spoil with the proud. The section begins with better than and ends with better than. It shows you the highway of your life and the kinds of people who crowd the roadway that you're walking upon. It's better to get out of the flow of traffic and take the slow road of wisdom than to race with the crowd down the highway of evil leading to your death. It says that getting wisdom is better than getting rich. So set your focus on wisdom. Wealth may follow, and it may not. In fact, it's better to see yourself as lowly and to hang out with those who are poor than to gain wealth with proud companions. Verse 18 is crucial to the entire passage. Pride goes before destruction. This word destruction is related to something that is shattered. Walk in pride, and one day, like a glass vase hitting a tile floor, you'll be smashed into a thousand pieces. A haughty or prideful attitude will eventually cause you to fall, to stumble. So verses 17 and 18 work together. If you walk in pride on the highway that leads to evil, you will fall and be shattered. So this, these verses, they're, they're setting us up to recognize the gravity of the topic that the wise man is about to introduce to us. The wise, he says, listen to words and speak words that lead to life. Fools use words that seem to get them what they crave, but in the end, they not only fall and shatter, but they do great harm to the community around them. So words are serious, and this is serious business. And so the next section, verses 20 to 24, is a call to wise 
speech. It's a call to wise speech. Do you, do you think hard about what you are to say before you say it? I have to admit, I usually don't. It's often only in very tense situations, and then, even then, sometimes I blabber and then think, what did I just say? I want to tell you a story from the oldest book we have in the English language. Some of you may have suffered through this book in high school or college. It's actually a brilliant book. It's called Beowulf. Beowulf is a hero who comes to a land that is not his own to free its people from the ravages of an evil monster. He is the son of the king in the land of the Geats. He gets a report that the Danes who live across the sea have had their warriors repeatedly slaughtered in the hall of their king by a horrible monster called Grendel. Beowulf remembers the good relations his people have had with the Danes for generations, and he believes he's called to deliver them from the scourge of this monster. So he and his fellow warriors pack up their boats with the latest and best weapons and head for the land of the Danes. They send no emissary ahead, no letter, no email, no phone call. They decide to arrive, and then they'll explain their mission. And so they arrive on the shoreline and begin to unload their boats of an amazing collection of the most lethal weapons available to the people of that day. Now, of course, the land has border guards, and the border guards are observing this unfolding before them, and what do you think they think? Well, it looks like an invasion to me. So the captain of the guard confronts them. And it's a critical moment for Beowulf. If he doesn't persuade them of his good intentions, they could be captured or killed on the beach. And so the writer of this ancient tale introduces Beowulf's answer with these words. The leader of the troop unlocked his word hoard. <laughs> the leader of the troop unlocked his word hoard. In other words, Beowulf carried in his head a treasury of words. He kept them locked up because they were of great value to him he handled them as carefully as he handled his priceless weapons. Do you count your words as having value? Are they a treasure to you? Kept protected in the locked room of your mind to be used only as is fitting for the occasion? Look at verse 20. Whoever gives thought to the word will discover good. Now, the word word here in this proverb refers to a saying, something that 
teaches you, something a wise man would say. Wise words he's heard from a wise person and stored them in his mind. So he's saying if you pay attention to those words and follow their guidance, you will find good. And, the verse continues, blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. The words of the wise may lead you to the good, but really, like Beowulf, you don't know whether the response to your words will be good or bad. You are blessed by the Lord when you use his words of wisdom, drawn from the treasury of his word, trusting him whether the outcome is favorable or not. Okay, so you want to you fill your storehouse with good words that lead to good so you can draw on them, but your trust is in the Lord, not your words. It's very important to get that straight. You must give thought to the word. You must ponder it, store it in your memory. Think through what it says, what it means in its act application. When you do, you can draw on your word hoard and discover good and lead others in the same direction. The blessing from God comes when you use His words toward His ends in the situation that He has put you in. Long ago, Nancy and I had a friend who came to realize that she was enslaved to what other people thought of her. Sound familiar? <laughs> it's true often for many, many of us. She called herself a people pleaser. She only said and did what she thought other people wanted her to say and do. Her remedy was to tell people exactly what she thought they wanted to hear. But now she was going to change. She was going to tell it like it is. She wasn't going to care any longer what people thought of her words. She would speak her mind and let the chips fall where they may. If you were offended, well, too bad for you. She would reach into her word hoard and throw at you the first thing that came to hand. She needed verse 21. Look at it. The wise of heart is called discerning and sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. So the wise of heart use words in a way that not only discerns the situation and the right course, but also are appealing to those who hear them. They are sweet to the ear and so they influence the community they persuade. And so verse 22. Good sense is a fountain of life to him who has it, but the instruction of fools is folly. The wise speaker's good sense is a constant source of refreshment. It's a fountain of life, not just to the speaker, but to those it pours on. So we're going from words that are sweet and persuasive to words that bring life and refreshment. 
On the other hand, fools learn the hard way. They are instructed only by following their foolish path and learning the painful consequences. So verses 23 and 24 are what the teacher is calling us to see and desire and pursue. Read again with me, verse 23. The heart of the wise makes his speech judicious and adds persuasiveness to his lips. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Here we find that the source of our words is the heart. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus speaks of a tree and its fruit. Good trees, he said, produce good fruit. Bad trees produce bad fruit. And he concludes his point by saying this, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What we say isn't just information. It's coming from what we believe, what we want. We live in an age that is obsessed with technique. If you just get the words right, people will respond to the way you want them to. Politicians, I don't know if you realize this, politicians employ psychologists, pollsters, to learn what words and phrases people respond to positively or negatively. And then they take that information and craft their words to get their audience to love what they say and hate the words and the person of their opponent. Advertising in the modern age works the same way. We're going to look at this. I'm going to come back to this in the final section. For now, you need to see this. We should not use words as a tool to manipulate and control people. If you are wise, if your inner life, your heart is shaped by wisdom, you're going to speak what is right, what is helpful, what defines the situation accurately, what gives the best direction, and you'll be able to do it persuasively. Not to control, but to bless. So you've got to see that difference. We're not looking at words as a means of control and persuasion isn't control it's not manipulation it's laying out what's real and true and good and wise so that people in your words come to get it and want to follow the effects of your words will be like the effect of honey now in the ancient world the ancient world didn't have sweets like we do and people would seek out honey for two purposes. Number one, to sweeten their food. It was a real treat. And number two, to heal their wounds. Words can delight in their beauty and truthfulness, and they can heal broken hearts and broken communities. So again, I want to ask you a question. Do you understand the power of your words? Do you realize that you can do great good 
You can do great good by speaking good and true words with sweetness in your speech. Do you see that you can have a good influence on other people by speaking wisely? The way to words that strengthen and heal and give good direction is through your heart. So they're not the words of technique. They're words that have been embedded in your very soul. Store in your heart the Word of God and you will have a word hoard to draw on in any situation. So words have a power to do massive good. But there's a dark side to words as well. That was perfect. <laughs> there is a dark side to words as well. And to that, our teacher turns our attention in verses 25 to 30. So the third section here, a call to avoid evil speech. Look at verse 25. There is a way that seems right. Let me read it again, different accent. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Now, the position of this verse, we could, we could take and isolate this verse from all of Proverbs, but you've got to see that whoever collected this text, put these verses together, he, he wants us to see their relationship to the words we use. People tell us with their words a way that seems right. Or we speak words to ourselves. They seem right. These words tell us that if we follow their direction, they'll lead us to what we want. And the wise man says, beware. What seems so right, a can't-lose strategy to permanent wealth, a simple plan of diet and exercise that will remedy all that ails you, but hidden from your view are things that are far more powerful than the promised remedy. And those things are deadly. Greed is deadly. Obsession with your health draws you away from God and His plan for your service to others. Because these and all folly are rooted in pride. So you follow a path, it seems right, but what may seem to be true may prove to lead to death. We've got to think about that, and now we're going to be shown how that can work. Verse 26 shows us that need often drives us. Look at verse 26. A worker's appetite works for him. His mouth urges him on. Now, what it says is really simple. The need for food will prompt you to work. But the proverb, I think, has a deeper current. His mouth could also refer to what he says. He may have an appetite for other things besides 
food and he listens to words or speaks words that convince him that his desire and his plan are totally reasonable. But verse 25 has already warned us that his plan may lead to death. Beware that pride and desire that can lead down the path of folly, leading ultimately to death. So we can't let what seems right control us. We can't let our appetites direct us. And now we're going to see in the following four verses how the way of death can operate It begins with a plan, it then moves to recruiting others to help with the plan, and it ends in defrauding people to get what this man's, this fool's appetites wants. Read with me verse 27. A worthless man plots evil, and his speech is like a scorching fire. A dishonest man spreads strife and a whisperer separates close friends. A man of violence entices his neighbor and leads him in a way that is not good. Whoever winks his eye plans dishonest things. He who pursues his purses, his lips, brings evil to pass. His plan in verse 27 results in speaking to others, drawing them in. He plots evil and then he speaks it. In verse 28, he whispers in your ear slanders. He separates close friends by speaking evil of a person secretly, quietly, just for prayer. That's an excuse I've heard used for gossip. Slander is simply words used to harm another person's reputation. They're not meant to heal. They're not meant to restore. They're not meant to correct. They're meant to harm. That's what's going on here. The slanderer separates friends, puts them at odds with each other, destroying the unity of a community. His words, his speech, start a fire that burn other people along the way. Verses 29 and 30 work together. He entices his neighbor to do something that promises good, but actually defrauds him. It puts his neighbor on a path that is not good for him. We don't know the background to verse 30. It's obviously some cultural thing that we really don't know about winking your eyes and pursing your lips. But clearly, they are secret signals to an accomplice to defraud the trusting neighbor of verse 30. So we see in this section that just as words can bring life and can unify a people, words can work death and destroy a community. So there's this beautiful promise of the the beautiful, good, true, powerful effects of wise words. And then there's this great warning of how destructive 
words can be. These destructive, deceptive words fill the world we live in. Now, we're so used to this, I, I don't think we recognize it. Um, my family, sometimes I watch sports or television with them and an ad comes on and I start talking to the television and they all gaze at me. Why does he talk to advertisements? But I do. Because you hear deceptive words in the realm of advertisements for products and you hear deceptive words in the speech of politicians seeking your money and your vote. Often the winking comes by placing an image of our desires next to the product. I'm sure you've seen this one. The young, attractive couple nestled on the couch with a bowl of popcorn, smiling and laughing together as they watch the streaming entertainment service. Only $9.99 a month plus extra taxes and fees may apply. Proverbs tells us to be perceptive to the wink and the nod and the shuffle and the weasel words, to images that make promises they cannot keep. Politicians make outlandish statements that incite their base. Later on, you find out that they don't really believe the words they said, or even worse, they don't even know if they're true or not, and they do not care. They just know their words get results, and that's all that matters. So we need to examine words in this way. We need to, we need to recognize, is this person trying to persuade for my good and the good of the community, or is he trying to manipulate to get something out of me that he Wants. There is a way that seems right to a man. God calls us to be discerning of the words of others who call us to join them in their evil. And He calls us to use our own words as a gift that both sweetens the life of others and heals what is damaged. And we've all experienced both. There are times when you are discouraged, the encouraging words of a friend can absolutely transform your outlook. And there are times where you hear evil words and they lead you to anger or judgment. We must be aware. I began this sermon saying that wisdom must be understood in light of the gospel. Wisdom is found in the person of Jesus. We learn how to speak and how to listen to words of others by watching and listening to Jesus. Listen to this. At the very beginning of his ministry, Jesus goes to visit his hometown of Nazareth. And on the Sabbath, he attended his local synagogue. The elders there asked him to read the scripture assigned for the service that week and then to give his interpretation. The passage of the day was Isaiah 61. And it was about 
words, the words of the coming Messiah. The Spirit anointed him to proclaim good news, to proclaim liberty, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. After Jesus read the text, he said that what they just heard in that room from Jesus' own mouth was fulfilled right then and right there. Now, you would think some people would be scratching their heads at that moment because they were just at church like they were every other week and they had a guest speaker and all of a sudden he's transforming the universe. But listen to how they reacted. Here's the verse that follows this passage. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. So we have the mind of Christ. Christ is the wisdom of God for us. And so as we listen to him, see him and hear him in the Gospels, we start to, we start to build this word hoard that we can draw on that will bring a blessing to people. Now that, that should be our aim. I'm not, our aim is not to be marveled at. We'll leave that for him. But to be known for the gracious words that come out of our mouths. And why do we want this? Because Jesus has not only loved us and forgiven us our sins and saved us to eternal life, Jesus has revealed himself to us in his truthfulness and beauty and goodness. And as we see him, we are compelled to be just like him, to speak words that have similar effects. So there's our model. There's our word hoard. There's what we're looking for. We want to have a treasury of gospel words. Now they can relate to practical matters. The book of Proverbs is filled with those practical matters. But the ultimate end is the glory of God. Not just getting along in life so that we have few problems. So the application of this passage in Proverbs is quite simple. Store God's words in your memory and heart. Speak words that strengthen and sweeten and heal. Avoid words that deceive and play on your sinful cravings. Pay attention to what you hear. Choose carefully what you draw out of your word hoard. Pay close attention to Jesus and what he has said. Because, verse 20, whoever gives thought to the word will discover good, and blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, every one of us in this room, from the youngest to the oldest, to whatever comparison we want to make, you have given to all of us words. And you have given us the, the power to 
not only affect ourselves, but the people around us with our words. We pray, Lord, that you would make us wise and that we would use words wisely. Whether we're in a sales negotiation at work, dealing with a difficult customer, dealing with a difficult two-year-old, whatever the situation, Lord, you want us to use words to bless, to define what is right and true and good, to be persuasive. And so we pray that you would work with us to develop this word hoard in our hearts that we can bring out to do your work and your will in this world. Transform us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.